I'm super excited to get to be here and to get to continue this great series that we've been in. Uh, we're talking about uh, who is Jesus really? We've been looking at these, these seven statements, these I am statements where, where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the, I'm the way and the truth and the life and, and so on. And, and it's these statements that Jesus is making because he wants to describe to the Jewish people in the first century and he wants to describe to us what God is really like. And he also, along with that, he's doing these miraculous signs that we see in the Gospel of John, this particular uh, part of Scripture that we're kind of camping out in for a few weeks. And he's doing these miraculous signs that kind of match up, almost correspond with these I am statements uh, as this outworking of the identity of Jesus. It's not just about these words that he speaks, it's his identity in every way. And so when, in week one, when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he also feeds 5,000, way more than 5,000 people, actually. When he says, I'm the light of the world, Jesus also gives sight to a blind man, literally brings light into darkness. And we're going to continue making our way through this series together, leading all the way up to Easter. But these stories, these statements, these miraculous signs, they also lead to the, the end of John's gospel, where John says these words. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. In other words, way more than seven. Are you with me? Like way more than seven of these, these signs, way more than that. But these are not recorded in this book. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, the Son of God. That that, that by believing you may have life in him. And what John is saying to us this morning, I believe is, is I don't want to just merely flood you with information or knowledge. I don't wanna just wow you with these stories, but I want you to believe. I want you to believe and I want you to live in a real relationship with Jesus. Why? Because that's where we find the fullest life possible. That has been my experience. And so today I'm really excited to get to unpack Jesus' words. I am the good shepherd. Now, I know, to, I know that as we mention this right away, I say, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And there's probably a lot of different images that start to go through your mind. Some of those images may look a little bit like some of these images. Uh, I don't know that all of these are super helpful. I know some of them are very familiar because of art, artist renderings over the years, but here's my, my, my concern is that these kind of images and some of the images we might carry of a, a very bright, white, clean robe and a really cute little lamb around Jesus' neck, they may not actually get us anywhere near the imagery that Jesus wants to create in our imagination today. It may not get us anywhere near the, the power of the statement that Jesus is making when he says, I am the good shepherd. And so this morning, as your maybe not so good shepherd uh, as Jesus, I wanna make sure we don't miss this. I wanna make sure that, that we don't miss what Jesus is getting after. And so I wanna take us on just a little bit of a journey where we're gonna look at biblical backdrop and we're gonna look at a little bit of cultural backdrop. And we're gonna start off this morning with some biblical backdrop. Because what you have to understand is when Jesus is gonna share these words, what he's gonna do is he's gonna share them with a group of people who in the first century are back in 
their homeland. See, they have been captives in Babylon for many decades. They're, they're, they're back now in their homeland, but they are still not free. They do not feel as though they are free to be who God created them to be because in their, back in their homeland, they're being crushed under the weight of, of the rule of the Roman Empire. And so as Jesus is speaking to the Jews in the first century, um, they're being heavily taxed, so much so that, that they're just being uh, weakened over and over again by this taxation that's on them all the time. There's this daily humiliation that they live in of being under the boot of an oppressive Roman Empire over them. And they're crying out to God, come and, and rescue us. They want to be rescued from this. And they're holding on to a promise. And the promise that they're holding on to, that they're clinging to, is that God would be their shepherd. You see, when you think of the bigger biblical narrative, when you think of scripture, there's the, the creation narrative that we're given. You think of the beginning of scripture. God creates the world. He creates it as he intended it to be. We're, we're often taught that he creates things that are perfect. And I'm not sure that's even the best way to think about it. God creates everything and he steps back and he says, Good. See, perfect is static. Good is dynamic. I think God creates everything and us in a way that is supposed to change. It's dynamic. That's how he creates us. And he looks upon us and he says, good. In fact, very good is the way God responds to the creation of mankind. But then there's also the, the decreation that we talk about sometimes. And this is where we start to experience this, the separation from God, the experience that we have because of sin and brokenness in our lives, where we are now desiring to lead ourselves instead of to follow God as our shepherd. See, the biblical narrative is God on a mission in and through Jesus, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection to restore all things to the way that God intended them to be. And how is that? It's humanity, you and me, all of us flourishing and thriving in a relationship with God. And that's what this is all about this morning. See, in, in terms of God's created order, well, what did his relationship with his people look like? Well, he was a shepherd to them. We heard Psalm 23 just a few minutes ago. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. What a beautiful picture of what it's like to know God as your shepherd. See, the Lord has always been a shepherd to his people. But again, in the story, the Jewish people have this experience where they've turned their backs on God. Of course, not an experience we've ever had, right? The Jewish people have walked away from God. Of course, that's not our story. Eventually, they end up in captivity. They end up in slavery. And now they're back in Jerusalem under the reign of the Romans. And, and the way that they would often refer to themselves is, is as, as sheep without a shepherd. In fact, you can, you can hear Jesus in the Gospels. He will, he will refer to them. He'll, he'll, say, he will, he'll weep over the people saying they're like sheep without a shepherd. We can look back into the, the Hebrew scriptures, into the Old Testament, the language of the prophet Isaiah uses to describe the, the, the human condition as it is. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us is turned to our own way. So again, created order looks like God being a shepherd in a relationship with his people, yeah? 
But see, decreation looks like being a sheep without a shepherd. With the metaphor of God as shepherd, there's also another metaphor that I wanna look at this morning just for a few minutes. Because it's really presented what almost feels interchangeably to me sometimes throughout the scriptures. There's God as shepherd, but there's also God as father. See, when you think of the Garden of Eden, you, you go back to the garden narrative and you see God as father, Adam and Eve, human life, his, his creation right before him just as his kids. In the Exodus narrative, shortly after that, Moses is, is, is with God going like, what am I supposed to say to Pharaoh, right? When he, when he asks, what is going on here? Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says we read in Exodus 4. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. Hear the language of a father. These are my children, and I want a relationship with them. Let them be free to worship me, to have a relationship. This is God's desire for us. See, the Jewish people in the first century, they know this. See, what you think, what about the decreation side of things, right? Well, we experience the sense of living as orphans. If in creation, God is father, in decreation, we are experiencing living as orphans. In, in decreation, uh, we're living disconnected from the father. And the Jewish people in the first century are holding on to this promise. And I don't want us to miss this today. The promise that, that I'm gonna come to you as a father. I'm gonna be your father. I'm gonna be your shepherd. I'm gonna adopt you again as my children. This is God's desire. And so I wanna take a, a few minutes here and just do a little bit of contextualizing through some scripture. And so I wanna, I wanna share with you some of what we find uh, in the book of Ezekiel from the Old Testament, the, the prophet here who, who is gonna say some things that may be kind of new to us, especially if you're exploring faith today. These might be brand new words, but what's really important for us to understand is that the audience that Jesus is talking to, when he says, I'm the good shepherd, this audience would know these words inside and out. It's really important that we get that, that, that in Ezekiel, these words come to us from Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Now it's really important that we set this table correctly here because the shepherds that really God is talking about here, don't picture so much uh, robes and staves in this case, picture leaders, religious leaders, people who have been given authority positions and are not stewarding those positions well. That's who God is talking to here. It goes on, should not shepherds take care of the flock? To verse four, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So you have ruled, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Okay, let's push pause here just for a moment too, because there's some, there's some language going on here that I think is worth, worth talking about for a moment. Because the Jewish people believed 
that to be fully human was to live in a relationship with Yahweh, with God. And so to them, if you were living outside of that, if you weren't living in a relationship with God, there was a, like references like, like Gentile dogs or, or wild animals. You would hear this, this kind of reference being made a lot and you see this throughout the scriptures. But you have to remember, again, going back to Genesis, the mission of, for these people, given to them by God, the mission was to bring the blessing of Yahweh to all people, all people, so that they could experience what it means to be fully human in a relationship with, with God. And so that's why they, they would talk this way. And so when it says they were scattered and became food for wild animals, it's saying that they were scattered and other nations devoured them, Right? Because the Assyrians came and invaded Jerusalem. The, the Babylonians move in and they, they finish the job and, and deport them off to Babylon. Make sense? And so as we continue here in Ezekiel, verse six, my sheep, Lord says, wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. So to the shepherds in Israel, God says, you mistreated the people that I gave you to care for. And then God pronounces judgment to the shepherds, right? Because my sheep have lacked a shepherd, because, because these religious authorities were, were getting rich while so many of the flock were becoming poorer and poorer and poorer. God says, I'm against the shepherds and I'm gonna hold them accountable. I'll remove them from tending the flock. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and, the, and, and to the flock to his children, to us, he says these words. He says, I'm gonna come to you as a shepherd. And these are the words that the first century Jewish people are holding on to. Starting again in verse 11, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and I will look after them. As a sheep looks after his scattered flock, when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Sound familiar? I will bring them out of the nations and I will gather them from countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the, in the ravines and in the settlements of the land. I will tend to them in a good pasture and on mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. Anybody, anybody think that sounds familiar right now? Do you hear Psalm 23? Do you hear it in there? Verse 15, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. My friends, you have to understand the people in the first century are desperate for God to come because they're holding on to this promise. And we've really got to understand what Jesus is, is saying. And we have to understand what's going on in the background for that to happen. That's why I want to share just one more thing with you. Because again, God as shepherd, 
that's given to us here in Ezekiel, but also there's God as Father. And I think that's really important because uh, they're practically interchangeable. So I wanna just jump over for a moment, if you will, to Jeremiah 31, where through the prophet Jeremiah, we read these words. The Lord says through Jeremiah, see, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor, a great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water. Interesting. Does that sound familiar? Echoes back to Psalm 23. On a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's Father and Ephraim, another way to think of Israel here, is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. God is going to liberate his people. He's going to come as shepherd. He's going to come as father, and he's going to lead them to life. That's the biblical backdrop. The people are longing for God to come and fulfill his promises. Make sense? That's the biblical backdrop. But now for a little bit of cultural backdrop as well, because the Jewish people were desperate for a shepherd and for a father. Imagery that they're very familiar with. And what I want to say today, just for a moment, is that I believe the same is true in our generation. Friends, the greatest longing of our generation, the greatest cry of, a, of our generation is for a dad. Paul tells the church in the city of Corinth, in the, uh, again, in the first century and in, in, in the New Testament, Paul says these words, you have 10,000 guardians, but you don't have many fathers. I think the same is true here in Austin. I think the same is true in our world today with all of, of, of our millennials, uh, I'm sorry, with all us millennials and us young people. I think Paul would say to our city, you have so many guardians, but you don't have many fathers. Literally, spiritually. I mean, we have a lot of educators, amazing ones. Thank you for what you do. We have amazing administrators. We have law enforcement. We have civic leaders. We have bosses. We have business owners, all these things. So many authority figures, but there are so few fathers. And, and I bring that up today because there's something about a father. There's something about a father figure in a person's life that just makes a world of difference in the life of anyone that they invest in. Yeah? And this is so important today to me because uh, for, for those of you who don't know, I recently lost my dad and, uh, just back in December. I, I lost my dad and this has kind of really stirred some things up in my heart today. In fact, if you've never met or seen my dad, um, my dad was, uh, he was a, a veteran of the Vietnam War. Uh, my dad uh, then started his biggest battle, which was me. And so like uh, they, there I am, uh, born uh, <laughs> back in 1970, going on here. Uh, my dad was also many things. He was, uh, he was an artisan. There he is making a jack-o'-lantern. He was also a Renaissance man. There's the first motorcycle helmet, of course, that we bought for him. My dad certainly was a fitness nut. People didn't know that about my dad. And right up until the end, he was a party animal. That's, that was my dad. But here's why I bring him up today. Um, I was, uh, my, my aunt Cindy shared a story with me uh, recently. So my dad's baby sister and her, and her husband, my uncle Dan, they shared a story with me about my dad that I had never heard until just a few months ago. And that is that when, um, when my 
Aunt Cindy and my Uncle Dan were dating as teenagers. Uh, my dad had taken them to a park. He, 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 he was the driver, right? And so he put them in his little hot rod uh, back in the 60s and, and drove them down to the park uh, so they could have a little, you know, little hangout time or whatever. And, uh, and what happened was there were these Marines uh, playing volleyball. Picture probably a little bit like Top Gun. Remember the volleyball scene? You got these, you got these big Marines, they're playing volleyball, doing the thing, right? And, and my, my Aunt Cindy, she was really beautiful, and she, she walked by, and the, the Marines said to my Aunt Cindy, they said, hey, what are you doing with that, with that guy over there, with that chump? Why don't you come on over here and hang out with some real men? And my, my, my Uncle Dan was kind of in a weird spot at that point, right? It's like, oh no, like what do I do, right? But he, he says to the Marines, he says, oh, the reason why she's with me is because she likes a guy with a brain. So they walk on. And as they walk on, um, they end up uh, passing a public restroom where my Uncle Dan has to make a little pit stop real quick. So he goes into the public restroom there at the park. And the minute he walks in, he is followed in by all five of these Marines. And there's my Uncle Dan in the restroom knowing he's, he's about to get beat up pretty, pretty well in this public restroom, and he knows it. And it's at that moment that my dad um, walked in. And my dad walks in. My dad's about this tall. You should know that about my dad. He's a little, little shorter than me. Um, I say that now because he can't do anything about it. But like, he was a little shorter than me. He walks into the public restroom and he says to my, he walks right into the middle of the Marines and he says to my Uncle Dan, all right, Danny, which one do you want? I'm gonna take the other four. And all five Marines left the restroom. (laughs) I don't know what would have really happened. I just think those Marines at that moment didn't want to even find out. And I say that because, um, as I was thinking about fathers and I was thinking about dads and I was thinking about so many things around this message, one thing that I've been just uh, really, really swimming around in over the last a couple of months for sure is how grateful I am that I've had a dad in my life throughout my life. For all the brokenness, for all the, the things certainly that could have been better, for all of the, the imperfections and all that with my dad and addiction and all the stuff that we've dealt with, he was always there. He was always there. And I'm very, very grateful for that. That guy in that public restroom with those Marines and my Uncle Dan, that's the guy that I grew up with. And the thing about that, and the reason I bring it up is because there's a a father absence crisis in, in America right now. It's a very real thing. I'm a very fortunate kid, a very fortunate guy to have grown up with my dad around. But according to the the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.3 million children, one in four, live without a biological or step or adoptive father in the home. So consequently, there's a a father factor in nearly all of the social ills that we face in America. That's just a true reality that we're all living in, although it's probably pretty familiar to most of us. Research shows that that when a child is raised in a home without a a father or a father-absent home, as they refer to it, um, whose life is void of a father figure in those years, he or she is affected in the following ways. Two times greater risk of infant mortality, 
four times greater risk of poverty, higher risk of experiencing abuse or neglect in the home, higher likelihood of behavioral problems, two times more likely to suffer obesity, two times more likely to drop out of high school, seven times greater risk of teen pregnancy and the likelihood of substance abuse and incarceration uh, as a result, either directly or indirectly, greatly, greatly elevated as we all already know. But we, we know this, don't we? And the reason why we know this is because some of us uh, know it firsthand all too well. We hear this so regularly. We hear this kind of statistic. We hear this kind of stuff so regularly that it almost almost is like we're inoculated to it. Like it it becomes something that we don't even want to think much about anymore. But sociologists refer to our generation right now as the fatherless generation. What does that mean? It means that our children and our grandchildren, they're going to read in their sociology textbooks about our generation being the fatherless generation. Millions of children growing up right now without the knowledge or the experience of a father's love. I think it's worth bringing this up today, friends. I think it's worth bringing it up here at Gateway and in this community. It's worth dragging this out into the light, even though it's uncomfortable, so that we're not asleep, so that we're not naive, right? So they're not, we're not just walking around as if everything's okay. We don't want to be unaware culturally. Can we agree with that? We were created to crave the love and the leadership of a father. It's how we were made. And so I I just want to say that for all of you who are good dads, for all of you who are spiritual fathers, for any of you who are mentors, for any of you who who have stepped into the life of of a son or a daughter or or a spiritual child of some sort who are leading them and influencing them and loving them, Thank you so much for that investment into their lives. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for that. And for those of us uh, who, who right now are looking for ways to serve, ways to, to bring the kingdom to life in this world, just know 18.3 million children in our country right now need a leader. Just need a mentor. Need a spiritual guide, a person who would walk with them. So much opportunity. See, I've given you some biblical backdrop, right? The Jewish people in the first century, they're longing for God to come and, and to shepherd them and father them, to lead them. The cultural backdrop here is there's this longing in each one of them and in each one of us to experience a father's love. Uh, a shepherd who will lead them and lead us to green pastures to, to help us to know and to, to just lie down and, and rest at the right times and let our lives be restored by him. I think of the words of, of Augustine who said this of God, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. We see that restlessness all around us, don't we? Can we agree? You know, I don't want to be needy this morning, but I mean, can we agree? Yes? Your masks are muffling everything you're saying. I, I... Yeah, yeah. Yes, we do, right? Okay, I just want to make sure. I'm, thank you. I'm, I'm hard of hearing and all that stuff for sure. But, but here's, here's the thing. It's with all of that in mind. It's with this whole backdrop in mind this morning, friends, that now we, I think we can hear Jesus' words in a different way. 
because Jesus steps into that cultural moment then. And friends, he steps into our cultural moment right now, right here at Gateway North, right where you are right now, online with us. He steps into this moment and he says these words, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, why is the topic of fatherhood or why is the topic that we're talking about uh, this morning so difficult for so many of us? Because this is how we've experienced fatherhood, isn't it? So many of us have had an experience where, where it's just someone who cares more about themselves and didn't care for the sheep. That's a real thing for so many of us and so many of them in the first century. And many of us have experienced bosses in the workplace and political leaders and religious leaders who have wounded us and hurt us and let us down so many times. If, if, if they had to, to run people over, if they had to step on or over somebody to, to meet their end goal of, of, of money or status or power or self-gratification or whatever it was, it was just considered collateral damage. Why do I bring this up? Because Jesus is saying, that is not what I'm like. That is not me. I'm a good shepherd. Unlike any that you've ever known. I'm a good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. In fact, I would rather die than have anyone trample over my flock. And I would rather die than trample over anyone to get ahead in my life. Jesus goes on and he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. And then we see this statement lived out. Again, it's so amazing. If we go back to John chapter four, and I just have a couple minutes, so I'm gonna do this really quickly with y'all. But if, if we go back to John chapter four, we see this incredible story we're given where we read John chapter four, starting at verse 46. Once more, he, Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee. Why is this important that once more he visited? Well, it's important because this crowd is probably pumped to see Jesus. Why are they pumped? Because the last time they saw Jesus, there was a wedding. And at that wedding, he turned water into wine. So I'm picturing a crowd who's probably really excited to see him. They probably got red plastic solo cups, you know, empty cups all in their hands. Like, Jesus is back. This is going to be awesome. Hey, Jesus, why don't you do that thing again with the, that was awesome. Let's, let's do that. They're, they're excited to see him probably more than anything because they want to be entertained. They just want to see if he'll do that cool miracle again. But what you got to understand is in the middle of that crowd and, and the red solo cups, there's also a hurting father. Right in the middle of the crowd, we go on and, and it says, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and to heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. But get this, the royal official said, sir, come down. In other words, come down to where we live before my child dies. 
Here we're, we're seeing this word, this, this word for child that is actually the word from where we get pediatrics. And I just bring that up because what this man is saying, he's specifying a very little child. Come down before my little boy dies is what he's saying to Jesus. We go on verse 50, Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. So the man took Jesus at his word. <laughs> Whew, boy, there's another sermon for today. Let's, well, I'm not, I can't get sidetracked on that one, but let's hear that one more time. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour, think 1 p.m. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all of his household believed. So we end today with, with this little story of two fathers, the way I see it, right? There's the royal official, but then there's the other father, the shepherd in the story, the good shepherd, God, in, in the person of Jesus, and what's he doing? <laughs> He's doing exactly what the shepherds weren't doing in Ezekiel 34. Do you see that? What's he doing? He's, he's caring for the brokenhearted. He, he's, he's searching for the lost. He's healing the sick. He's being a really, really, really good shepherd because that's who he is. And friends, can you see the heart of God here? That, that he's a really good shepherd. He's an everlasting father. And so you have to understand that as people are asking Jesus in Jesus' day, what is God like? We all wanna know. Jesus says, you wanna know what God is like? He's like a, a shepherd. <laughs> he's like a shepherd who has 100 sheep and one of them, just one of them gets lost. 99 are still here. That's the shepherd's job, but one gets lost and the shepherd leaves the flock and he goes after the one and he searches for the one until he finds that one. And when he finds the one, he calls his friends and he says, I found my sheep. Remember that dumb sheep that wandered off? I found him. Let's have a party. Jesus says, you want to know what God is really like? He's like a father who has a son. Actually, not one. He's got a couple sons, but he's got this one that just wanders off and squanders everything. But when that son decides brilliantly that it's time to go back home, that father doesn't even let the son get near the house before that father runs down the road and meets his son and hugs him and puts clothes on him and a ring on his finger. And he says, guys, get everyone together. We're having a party. Why? Because my son who's been lost has been found. My son who was dead is alive again and we are gonna celebrate. Friends, that is what God is like. He's a good shepherd. That prodigal son story, prophetically points to the cross, everyone, right where we're headed in this season, to look at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus at Easter, right? A time when, when, when God's about to humiliate himself, to allow himself to be stripped and beaten viciously and hung on a cross. Why? Why? Why would he do that? For you. For me, that's why. So that our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion, our back turned to God so that all of that would be forgiven and completely washed away. And so friends, as we spend just a couple more minutes together, 
as Tara leads us with, with her team and in, in this next song, I just want you to ask yourself in the waiting, whatever that looks like in your life right now, whatever you're waiting for on your journey right now, do you believe that Jesus is a good shepherd? Do you believe that God is a good father? Do you believe that he is God? Do you believe that he is good?